Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today in Wasdale Head with author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Morning, Mark. <laughs> Hello, David. Well, I'm so grateful it's such a mild day because when I started out today, quite deep snow back in the Pennines and across to Penrith, but it's cheered up the more I've come west, which is marvellous. It's quite settled. It is settled, surprisingly so. We owe an apology to our listeners, don't we, Mark? Because we've tried to do two separate podcasts in the last month, and both of them we've had to call off because of terrible weather, uh, including most recently the uh, storm that hit last week. Cumbria has been deluged, but actually today we've got a very rare pocket of, as you say, mild and very still weather. Wasdale just looking spectacular. There's snow on all the peaks um, from about the, what would you say, 400-metre contour. Yeah. And the sunshine up on the Great Napes at the moment. They look truly alpine up there. It's wonderful. Yes, there's that magic mix of low patchy cloud, patches of sunlight, the snow, and as you say, those mighty upthrusts of crag. And actually, if we turn further around, we've got pillar there yeah that's got light on it absolutely blazing in the sunshine now the first time we were here with country stride mark we walked with ian gray one of the national trust fix the fell rangers Mm -hmm. and we spoke then about the the care that is being put into restoring the mountain um which was a fascinating podcast we're talking about other passionate teams of people who help on the fells today, aren't we? Oh, yes. That particular one was about caring for the mountain. There is that whole issue of people getting things wrong, not predicting the weather and the conditions and timing their days on the hill. And that's where mountain rescue come into their own. And that's the focus of today's podcast. We haven't spoken about mountain rescue yet, and we are being guided today up Piers Gill, which is one of the notorious accident black spots in the Lake District. And who is our guest? I'm delighted to say we've got Richard Warren. He's chairman of the collective of all the National Park and Cumbrian Mountain Rescue and Search and Rescue teams. So he'll be able to pinpoint the errors people make and we'll be looking at some of the black spots during the course of the walk. Yeah, so this is his home turf, and uh, I'm sure we'll also get a chance to talk to him about his love of the mountains and, and this wonderful valley as well. And there is, finally, we'll sign off with a, a note of topicality. It's just three days since there was a major uh, incident on Ben Nevis, wasn't there? And we can ask Richard about that, but um, that was three or four walkers who were completely lost up there and in trainers. It's very much a live issue, and at this time of year, the call-outs, they come regularly. Let's go and meet Richard. We've come by St. Olaf Church and I'm in the company of Richard. Great to see you, Richard. Yes, good morning. Yeah. Now, where do you come from? Yes, well, I live in Whitehaven right. and lived in uh, Cumbria for the best part of my life, I would think. Yeah, and the mountains have been part of your upbringing. Yes, I remember uh, going up Lord's Rate with my mother and the dog when I was about uh, well, I was seven or eight, I would think. Yes. That would be my early recollection of... Uh, the Lake District. So, Richard, what do you specifically do here in Wasdale Head? Well, I'm in Wasdale Mountain Rescue Team. I've been in the team for well over 35 years. Um, With a bit of luck, I'll get another five or ten years into me before I need to uh, leave the team. Um, But I'm also involved regionally. So Mm -hmm. I'm the regional chairman for the 12 Lake District teams. And I'm also involved nationally in Mountain Rescue England and Wales. So as a regional chairman. So 
very heavily involved in, um, I suppose it's the sort, it's not the administration, it's the strategic involvement. But I'm also the press officer for the region and press officer for the team, so. You have a perspective which is rare and valuable into what we're doing. So what are we doing today to get a grasp of the whole process of mountain rescue? Coming here as regional chairman and also as a Wasdale team member, it's really showing you some of the problems that not just Wasdale have, but the other teams have. Um, And we're going to one of our accident black spots today. So we're going up where from here? Right, we're going to go up onto Ling Mel, summit of Ling Mel, but we're going to do it by a really, really fabulous route. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not a route to be taken if you're a casual walker. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a bit of scrambling in it, but it's a fantastic route. And Mm -hmm. it's up the side of Piers Gill. Piers Gill is an accident black spot. And it's a tricky one, but for us, it'll be fine. Yeah, well, I'm in good company. I'm looking forward to it. Fabulous looking up to Napes. You just see Napes Needle there, Richard. Yeah, nice dusting of snow. Absolutely, and you can see up back head, head of Grable Gill. Yeah. Uh, and over here, the, the beginnings of cliffs of Lingmel, and you've got Ill Gill coming off Kirkfell, and behind us, and the sunlight is on Ubarrow and Stirrup Crag. Red pike in the distance. Just see a bit of a red pike, yeah. And we're just at the point where the uh, enclosures open up towards the upper part of the valley with uh, the broad boulder field of Lingmel Beck to our right. This is fell walking country par excellence, and this is something that you've been involved with for many a long year. Yes, yeah, I suppose I started, I probably started at the age of about four. <laughs> but, but when I came into the Lake District way back in 1963, um, yeah, we used to come up here. My mother was a big fell walker. My father was. And you continued the fell walking? I did, yes, fell walking, a bit of climbing. I did quite a bit of climbing uh, in my early years when I was at school in Egremont. Um, but then I got very much into um, marathon running. So mm. I did a lot of marathons and joined the local athletic club, fell running. Um, and then when I was 40, I uh, basically prolapsed a disc in my back, um, which is not a good thing for a mountain rescuer or a, or a runner. Um, so apart from having chronic back trouble, it's never stopped me. No. All that background and... Clearly, mountains meant a lot to you. What drew you specifically into mountain rescue? Well, being an outdoor person, I was aware of mountain rescue, but a friend of mine, he joined the team, and he said to me, why didn't you come along? So I went along, and um, as they say in the history books, the rest was history. History. It's, it's, It's sort of like a natural community of people with the same perspective, perhaps. The thing I love about mountain rescue, it's a bit like the family. And Mountain Rescue also involves the family, so it's the family members, because, you know, we do all the exciting stuff and we get all the satisfaction and reward from saving lives and helping people in distress. But our partners, our husbands, our wives, our friends, they suffer Mm. from the disruption to their lives Mm. and the workplace as well, you know. We have team members in Wasdale who are self-employed. So when they get called out, they are losing significant money. Mm. Working at Sellafield, we were very lucky in that we would get special leave to go on rescues. And you'd catch up on work and things like that. But um, it's a big commitment. And uh, most mountain rescuers, male, female, they'll stay in mountain rescue for at least 20 years. We've got team members in Wasdale, married couple. Um, they're over 40 years in Mount wow. Rescue. Wow. It's all about the community. Uh, when I first joined, it was all about going out and doing the rescue, going home and having a shower and getting something to eat. But then as you be in Mountain Rescue much longer, you, you recognise that it's more about the relationship with the community, building relationships with the farmers, because we go through their farms and their land. Mm. Um, And it's very much about um, what can we do to help our community, because our community supports us, Mm. you know. Now we come to a a fork in the ways, the route that goes across the screes up to Stye Head is forking half left, and uh, we're heading forward on the old bridle path, which 
will lead us onto the Piers Guild path. Now, I'm intrigued by this whole process. So I wander up here on my own and I trip over, uh, I incapacitate, I maybe break my leg. What happens? Right, well, the key thing is A, to not to be walking on your own because if you can't get a signal, you're basically sat there waiting for somebody to come along and find you. But on the assumption that you've got a mobile phone and on the assumption that you've got a signal, which you wouldn't get there, um, you would need to dial 999, ask for Cumbria Police mm -hmm. and Mountain Rescue. And the police therefore evaluate where you are and then allocate to a team. Yeah, the police have a map in their control room. They gather information, establish where you are, and then they send a text message to the appropriate team. So in this case, it would come to the Wasdale team. If it was a Steyrhead stretcher box, it could be Seathwaite and Keswick team, or it could be Wasdale. And the team would come out from your headquarters down at Gosforth, would they? Yeah, each team has a rescue base. Ours is based in Gosforth, um, unmanned. People think that it's manned 24 hours a day, but people are at work. The team leader, if it's uh, an injury or a medical emergency, a heart attack or, or some other medical issue, will mobilise the team very quickly. And in certain locations in Wasdale, Broadstand's one of them, uh, he'll mobilise a helicopter pretty quick mm. because these are life-threatening uh, situations. So he would uh, put the pager, he or she, we have uh, female team leaders as well, would put a pager out to the team members. We have 40-odd team members. Those who can get away from work will turn up. Mm. And we typically require 16 team members to turn up because of the stretcher carry. Mm. If we can't get team members because they're away on holiday or, or whatever, then we call in our very helpful neighboring team, Dud and Finesse, and they come all the way and they they provide additional resources. This is one of the characteristics now of the modern mountain rescue. You are so, uh, not only devolved, but you are integrated as well. You relate to one another. Mm. It's very, very collaborative. In the early days when I joined, it was very much focused on your own patch. You very rarely went over the, the coal. Uh, now we rely heavily on our neighboring partners because when I joined, we used to do 30 rescues a year. We're now doing 140. Wow. Last year we had uh, 585 999 calls across the Lake District. Uh, in 2017 we had 640. Mm. This so is... we're talking about an average of three a week for a team. Wow. So you've got the team uh, gathered together, 16 members, hopefully all together at their base, and you head off in your Land Rovers, so then what happens? Well, the first thing is that not everybody arrives at the same time. So the first five people will go out in the Mobile One, the first vehicle. If there are specific skills required for the rescue, so if it's a big craggy rescue and the first five are not the, the sort of the craggy group, they will be told to wait until others come in. So the first five that's appropriate for the job, usually cash carers, will go straight away. Then people will come in, then Mobile Two will go. More people come in, Mobile Three will go. Other people come in, all the vehicles are gone, they will head up in their own vehicles. The vehicles in this location will come to the bottom of Gavel Knees. So we come to Burnthwaite Farm. Right, you do. We open the gates and we drive the Land Rovers up, right up to that bridge there. Right. We've got to deal with the situation, the safety of the area. Um, we've got to get the casualty into what we call a bivy tent, which mm -hmm. is just a big waterproof sheet, no poles, mm -hmm. to keep them out of the, the wind and the cold. Then we're dealing with their, their first aid, their casualty care, splint, calm, whatever. Get them onto the stretcher and then carry them down the mountain to hopefully the ambulance that's waiting. But West Cumbria is not the easiest place to get ambulances. Uh, and so we may have to wait. Or in extreme cases, we, our vehicles can be converted into ambulances effectively by removing seats and such like, and we can strap the stretcher down and take them down to the main road at Gosforth. Well, that's fascinating, Richard. Let's move on a little bit further. Well, we come to this, uh, just short of the confluence of Becks, uh, it's becoming quite wild here, the setting. In fact, the, the cloud is coming in, there's a bit of dampness in the air. Lingmel is quite striking up to my right and to my left you can see great napes swirling in the mist 
And I think this is a significant spot, Richard, in terms of mountain rescue. Well, it is. The very first recorded rescue was a gentleman who, I think his name was Noyce, and he fell off Toffet Wall. So he was a climber, he fell off Toffet Wall. Uh, I think he had a fractured femur, maybe. It was a serious injury. Yes. And uh, the police gathered all the mountaineers together, and uh, Colonel Rusty Westmoreland was on that rescue. And as a result of that rescue, the Borrowdale Mount Rescue Team was formed, followed by the Keswick Mount Rescue Team. I'm interested in the diversity of people who get involved with the team to this day. Right, well, the, the attributes of a team member, male or female, a love of the outdoors, a love of helping people, uh, but also uh, willing to take, let's say, a calculated risk. Because it's quite an adventurous thing to become involved in, and there are risks. Um, not everybody is what I'd call a rock athlete. I'm not a rock athlete. I love climbing. I love scrambling. I love playing with ropes. Not all team members enjoy being in extremely risky situations. It's not that they're frightened of heights. It's more about they've looked at it and they said, that's beyond my comfort zone. Mm, I'm more right. than happy to carry the stretcher, carry the loads, do the casualty care, but don't put me on the end of a 200-foot rope uh, with <laughs> rocks falling down on top of me. The camaraderie amongst team members, as you can imagine, is second to none. A bit like in military where you've got that sense of family. But it is. So the characteristics of the kind of jobs that people come from, is there a distinctive quality? It varies right across the Lake District. You can imagine that uh, in the Keswick area, um, you've got outdoor instructors, uh, people who work in shops, also the professionals uh, in, in professional businesses and such like. In Wasdale, we're fortunate in that we have Sellafield on our doorstep. So there's quite a lot of professional people in the team from Sellafield. But we also have, you know, self-employed plumbers. We have mm. uh, quite a few people in the team are retired from professions. Um, I always remember one of our, uh, our lovely mountain rescuers, Martin Willey, mm. who unfortunately he died, he had a heart attack, um, and we had to actually go and, and, and attend to him, which was wow. a very, very sad day. But he used to be a, a railway engine driver on the Ratty. So, and he was a lovely guy, uh, and he'd go out on uh, call-outs on hard knot, rescuing people in snow and ice in his Wellington boots. <laughs> Found a member of the Wasdale team, oh, lovely guy, and Wonderful. so sad that he's gone. That was uh, very useful, that uh, arrow indicated where you could cross Lingmel Beck. There are times when you can't, is that right? Yes, when this is in full spate, it's very dangerous to cross, and, and the only way to get up there really is to go up to Stiehead and round the top and right. then corridor route and corridor. hit the flooded becks further up. Yeah, you shouldn't be up here anyway, it's like that. But we're still on the bridle path, the old pony route that went up to Stiehead, and we'll be branching off with Piers Gill at the moment. I'm intrigued by the high-profile rescues you have, and some of them catch the press in a magical way. I, I remember being on Ling Mella a year ago, and I saw a couple of lads smoking marijuana, and I thought, yeah, this is a good high place to get high. Have others been caught in a similar way? Yeah, there was a, there was a really interesting one uh, a year or so ago. A couple of lads come up from outside the area and decided that they would uh, go and climb Scorfowl. They got themselves lost in the mist. So we were called out. Um, they'd been taking some interesting drugs and um, <laughs> we actually had to, to get them off the mountain. Um, but the thing that I, I found quite amusing, and it, it was, I think it was in the actual log that is developed with the police, the police had put an entry in the log, which basically said that um, we've spoken to the two boys and uh, we've asked them uh, where their location is. And they said, we're high in the clouds. <laughs> they were asked if they had food and drink, which is a normal question that the police will ask the casualties. And they said, we've got plenty of drink. I think that was alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, th I think they also said, we've got dog biscuits. And I, I never quite understood <laughs> what they meant. Why anybody would take dog biscuits yeah. up the mountain. But apparently, and I only learned that that night, dog biscuits is a type of drug. Well, there you go. So, so yeah. yes, uh, they, was, they, they were safely taken off the mountain, but the, there is a serious message. Quite. And the message is, we've done a, a lot of rescues, some fatal, where people have gone on the mountain, you know, camped out, drunk alcohol, taken drugs, 
and um, it's just not the place to be. You uh, have this story about this lost dog. <laughs> oh, the lost dog! Oh, Jasper, <laughs> what a lovely dog Jasper was. A local guy with his dog, he lost his dog on Scorfell Pike and it gained a lot of attention in the press and social media because people were going out searching for it day and night and we were worried that you know we might have to go and rescue the people searching for the dog anyway uh, we got a call came in at half past one one morning um, about five days after the dog had been missing and um, I think it was five of us from the team went out to actually find Jasper who'd been found by a member of the public at uh, around about midnight and um, with injured feet so we brought him down but the, the story's all about what Jasper and his sort of owner did for the team because he immediately set up a Facebook Just Giving page that morning at half past six, seven o'clock in the morning when we got back down. And um, within the first hour, his target of £5,000 had been broken. There were donations coming in from all over the world. And we raised a total of £64,000, wow. which really went a long way to us getting the over £500,000 to build our new base just outside Gosforth. So thank you very much to uh, Jasper and uh, Jasper's owner. In the Lake District, we get a lot of donations coming in, a lot of visitors, um, but it's £500,000 a year at least to run the 12 teams. Wasdale team, probably around about £70,000, £80,000 a year to run it, all through charitable donations from legacies and from people who we rescue. Um, it's unfortunate that many, many people, uh, if not the majority of the people we rescue, actually think that we're paid for by the government through their taxes. And, mm. and people need to be aware that uh, when we say we're volunteers, unpaid volunteers, we truly are. No one in Mountain Rescue anywhere in England and Wales uh, is paid uh, to carry out the service. We just uh, cross over Greta Gill, which has an amazing ravine above it, which is the nature of this setting, ravines. Um, and it's quite a dramatic spot. And we've got slushy snow underfoot, which is actually quite slick. You know, you get dragged down by it. But this was the scene of a significant uh, rescue. Yes, and uh, water rescue is something that people perhaps don't associate with mountain rescue, but when the rain comes in, these becks come up very, very quickly and take some time to go down. Some walkers had been up on, I think they'd been Scorfell Pike, and they'd made a navigational error at Lingmel Col, uh -huh. and they'd come left instead of turning right, and uh, they came down here. God bless them, because it's a, a bit of a nightmare uh, walk in the dark. And uh, they got down to this point here, and this Greta Gill was uh, in full flood, and Piers Gill was in flood, and so they did the right thing in phoning for Mountain Rescue. We went out, and the advance got here, crossed Greta Gill, the gill to our left, which was raging at knee deep. Mm -hmm. um, so it was bordering on not safe to cross, but they managed to get across with uh, some aid. The group I was with turned up maybe half an hour, 45 minutes later, and the team leader who was on this side of the gill said, don't come across, too dangerous. It already raised another two foot. And there's a big drop right behind. So if you slip and water will push you over, you'd end up with injuries. We had to go all the way back down to uh, the valley bottom, to the farm, cross over on the footbridge, and then walk all the way back round to meet up with the stretcher, um, which was carrying the people off because they were hypothermic. And um, they had to make a decision whether to stay put until the morning. Hopefully the rain would stop, which isn't always the case. The beck would go down and then they could get safely off. Or take a bold decision, looking at the condition of the Piers Gill, and cross it. Huh. Now they made the decision on the basis that the casualties would not have been in a healthy condition if they'd stayed out all night. And the river was rising. So it's one of those decisions where you make you could say on the hoof, but it's taking the whole picture of what's going on, doing your one minute risk assessment, making a decision in the best interests of All the people. team members everybody concerned. and the casualties and doing it. Mm.
And this sort of leaves my thought on because there's so many flooding events occurring around the county. This must mean you are drawn into all sorts of water situations. Well, we are. I think the mountain rescuers are unique in that, in addition to having the skills for the mountain and the crags and the searching, we have also trained, formally trained team members who know the water and how to use crossings safely. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, Cumbria Constabulary, see, when, or the Fire and Rescue Service in Cumbria, when the situation gets extreme, as it has done with um, the recent weather that came in, and will be happening again on Sunday, I suspect. They know we've got the capability, the skill, the resources, and the commitment, and the ability to go in there and safely rescue people, whether it's people trapped in cars, whether it's people who are in flooded houses, mm -hmm. or, or wherever. And um, mountain rescue teams will always respond when we get that cry for help. Well, let's carry on a little bit further. It's, uh... It's not exactly inviting because it's raining. I was hoping it was going to snow. <laughs> but it makes it slushy. Slushy and slippery. Yeah. Fortunately, it's beginning to clear off because there's blue sky coming over, which is a wonderful relief. It's been spitting rain at us for now for half an hour. And we've got to quite a, a, a dramatic spot because here the dark cleft of Piers Gill is very striking in front of us but we're coming up towards the rock step. So this is a significant point on the journey up. What is it about Piers Gill that causes quite so much problems? The thing about Piers Gill is there's very, very few ways in and out. As rescuers, we have our own location that uh, we know where we can actually traverse in. But coming in from the top, there's a couple of waterfall pitches that you could slither down but you'd never slither back up again. And so you're drawn into it. And people uh, will tend to follow rivers because rivers always end up in the valley bottom. But Piers Gill, as with many gills, uh, they're not the things to follow. And this is a, an accident black spot. We've had a number of fatalities while I've been in the team, a number of many close shaves. So yes, it's, uh, it's a nasty place to be. Uh, unless you're a, a climber and you like getting wet in summer. Above and beyond this obvious feature, there are other black spots in the area. Of course, everybody sort of knows about Broad Stand. For injuries, um, it's basically Broad Stand and, and Piers Gill. But we have an accident or an incident black spot in people getting lost on the descent and ending up in Upper Estale. I wouldn't even like to try and count the number of times we've been out searching for people who've ended up uh, in Upper Estale, and it's a long walk out. It's a long so, journey. It's at Highland Glen, isn't it? It it's, is, it is. And it's so easy. I think most mountain rescuers, uh, and I hope this isn't a generalisation, will have got, let's call it misplaced, at some point in their mountain rescue or walking career. And uh, we learned from that mistake. And I got lost coming off Scorfell Pike, and I made a navigational error and instead of going to the stretcher box, I turned right and came down to Lingmel Col. Um, because the descent looks very similar in the mist. Mm. And uh, you automatically think, what a foolish mistake to make. People will come off the top of the pike, go to the stretcher box, think they're at Lingmel Col, turn left to go to Wasdale and drop into Estale. Well, we've got to a critical point here, actually, Richard. I'm a little bit cautious because I keep slipping on this snowy surface and uh, we come to a gill. We're just short of the scramble. Uh, we've been very slow, not because uh, we are slow, but we, <laughs> we have been chatting a lot. Uh, we've got a wonderful view. We're above Stye Head. I'm able to look into Borrowdale to see right the way through uh, towards Skidder. Well, Blencathra. The sunlight is on Great Gable beautifully. But we got to this point now, and I think probably prudence is the key thing about, this is one of the key things in mountaineering, knowing when to turn back. Uh, can you describe these conditions underfoot, Richard? Yeah, sure. Um, it's interesting conditions because it's, it's a thawing situation getting to the, the freeze level. So we've got wet snow on top of slippery rocks. And, you know, Putting spikers on, they would just ball up in this wet snow, and even crampons, you'd be kicking the snow off all the time. And there's some pretty hairy, deep 
gorge sections on Piers Gill and it doesn't take much lack of concentration, slip, and you fall a long way into the gorge. So I think that's a, a good decision, good mountaineering decision. Thank you. Um, the, <laughs> My the, wife will be proud of me. The mountain will be here every day for the next how many million years? Absolutely. <laughs> Now, I was going to mention, because we're not going to go over the rock step and get up onto the corridor route, we were talking about black spots and bad decisions, and there's one spot up there I think you can identify for me. Yeah, well, we, we talked about Lingmel Col and the, the, the decision to turn right or left. This is a particularly difficult place for people descending from Scorfell Pike. When they get to Lingmel Col, if they've come up from Wasdale, they should turn left to go back down into Wasdale. But in bad conditions, they're drawn to the right and then they're drawn towards Piers Gill. And they can, and many do, go through the broken wall and end up on the wrong side of Piers Gill where we have a lot of rescues that lead to serious injuries and even tragic fatal outcomes. The geography up there is so, it's so banal, it looks so easy. You see a wall and people associate walls with safe places. But sometimes walls are there to stop sheep going over cliffs. So that the people who do go down there, they have accidents, of course, and you go out and do your level best. But um, some are happy endings, some are not. Yeah, the, there are so many tragic incidents that we have to do, deal with and... Um Mountain rescuers deal with them in, in lots of different ways. They're all tragedies, more so when it's the very young. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a young lad, he was only 19. He died on the corner in Piersgill. Um, and I'll always remember it because we brought him up to the top and um, the team has always been very caring in that before we move the person we do a little not a prayer mm. but we just talk to him or yeah. her yes. and it's 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 just we gather around and we just take a moment and that's a very moving period yes. and it's very difficult for many mountain rescuers to go through that you know, while you're doing the rescue you're focused on doing the rescue the safety of the team safety of yourself get the casualties out um, but person who's passed away due to his injuries, particularly if there are partners around, that's a very difficult time. But the thing about it is that you think that there really is no one else who can do it. No. And so it's no good saying, I can't do it. You have to do it. And you do it. And that's it. Yes, it's quite remarkable. And it's part of the whole humanity of what you're doing. If you are going to have a heart attack, if I was to have a heart attack, I would rather have a heart attack on the summit of Great Gable than outside Morrison's in Whitehaven. Absolutely. I might, I might get to hospital quicker outside Morrison's in Whitehaven, but it's a lovely yes. way to go. He's just come down a little bit more, got onto safer ground, which is a, a relief in a sense. Gives me a chance to just reflect, Richard, about this wonderful setting. We've gone some way up Piers Gill, and of course that gets you ultimately to the Col and Scorfell Pike that everybody climbs in their thousands. Now, how often have you climbed Scorfell Pike? Well, that's a good question to ask, actually, and um, I think all, all of the team members climb the mountain many, many times. I suppose over the last 35, 36 years, um, both recreationally, which I do, because it's nice to come up here on a nice day, and for rescue searches, I've always thought it must be well over a thousand. I don't know, 1,500 times. Of course, rescues are different from social walking. On a rescue, your head's down, your, <laughs> your body's aching, and you just got one purpose in mind and that's to get the kit to the casualty and then get the casualty off. Socially you get a chance to turn around and actually have a look at the, <laughs> what's around you Set. rather than looking at the ground in front of you. Um, so it's important to do that. Um, 
And also it's important to explore those areas, believe it or not, that perhaps you haven't covered. Because one of these days you get asked to search an area and you want to make sure that when the cloud's in and you can only see 15 foot in front of you and it's pouring with rain, you know where you are without having to get your map out. And it's a bit like, I suppose you feel a bit like a Herdwick sheep. Yep, yep. You know, they know their territory. Um, You're hefted. (laughs) um, Yeah, yeah. The problem when you get um, so committed to mountain rescue is that um, there's so much to be done at home. And if you're doing three rescues a week, to then say to your family, oh, I'd like to go for a walk on a mountain in... Truven. (laughs) In Truven, (laughs) yeah. I say, well, what about the wallpapering? <laughs> Let's get that finished first. So, yeah, I think it's, um, it is difficult getting the balance between being available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to make sure that you can drive at any time. You know, mm. the only time I really drink is when I'm on holiday yes. out of the area because right. I'd feel guilty if all my teammates were out on a big rescue and I couldn't drive from Whitehaven to the base because I'd got alcohol inside me. So uh, I limit myself to one small red wine a night after a meal. You are hefted here. You came back here, you've had many years devotion to this area. What does it mean to you? Well, it's interesting when you say hefted because I look at the sheep there and I, in some respects, I feel at home here on this side of the, the fell as those sheep do over there. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a fabulous place. There's, there's very little stress when yeah. you come out on the mountains. And uh, as I perhaps said before, I do love the challenge. You've been doing this for over 35 years. What do you think Mountain Rescue has given you personally? Well, that's a hard question, Mark, but um, it's the, thir- the thing that jumps in mind is a purpose. Well, we're continuing our way down, uh, just getting off the really slushy stuff, which has been quite a caution for us. Uh, I'm minded to think about the sort of three things, you might say, that cause people to call out the mountain rescue. What would they probably be? There are three things that people need to concentrate on. And uh, the first one is all about, um, I suppose, preparation. Mm-hmm. You know, checking the weather forecasts, go and have a look at your map see the route. People have these iPhones in their yeah. routes on that, and that doesn't tell you enough, does it? It doesn't tell you enough. And the, and the thing about these smartphones is that um, they use battery. Yes. And the batteries can die, particularly when it's cold. Mm. So um, too many people are relying on smart technology, and then when it fails, so you don't get the signal, the battery dies, you drop it, you break it, what do you do? Mm, um, so the three things are basically the preparation, the, the next thing is having the right equipment, and that's the old map, the compass, know how to use it, the torch, because you may be on the mountain longer than you think because you haven't prepared and you haven't... Started too late. Underestimated, yes. Um, and the final thing is all about having the right equipment but knowing how to use it, oh, so yes. learning the navigation skills. Yes. And the interesting thing about that question is that... Um, We, the mountain rescue teams of the Lake District, have invested to kickstart an initiative which we started last year, 2019. Right, explain that one Uh, It's called Adventure Smart UK, and Mm -hmm. it's a website, and it's all about making your good day better. Quite. So it's not a negative thing, it's just enhancing the outdoors. You are a very positive organisation, but there must be times you get a a sudden rush of uh, call-outs and you say, oh, God, just give me a break, just give me a day off, because <laughs> you're out of volunteers. So do you get sort of frustrated? As a mountain rescuer, I've always said that the day that you start judging people is the day you should hang up your boots, because it's a lot easier to go and do the job and just recognise that people make mistakes, and you hope that they learn from them and they're not going to make the same mistake again. Now, we do come across cases where people will make the same mistake over and over again. And, uh, Reaches of habit. Yes. And it is frustration, but you've got to put it to the back of your mind. Mm. And, and that's the, the way we all deal with it. We've all made mistakes, uh, and everybody should be allowed to make a mistake. Mm. The problems that we have, of course, 
and you'll see them if you go onto any of the Mountain Rescue Team Facebook pages where somebody does something that people might class as stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, so if there's a, a storm brewing, yes, is it wise to go on to Striding Edge? And the answer is no, it's not. not. It's not wise. And so when there's a rescue where somebody tragically falls off and then you get the comments that come on that post, they're a mixture of people who are supportive of mountain rescue and what we do, uh, you know, regarding mountain rescuers as angels mm. and heroes and all that. And then there's the other side, the people who will say, oh, they should never have gone up there, you know, they must be daft. And, and, and there's always a battle there. And, and teams have to look closely at the comments that go in and we will take comments off. Yes. Because sometimes, you know, you end up with, I don't know, it's a bit like comment wars yes. taking place. Those who are supporting Mountain Rescue and the casualty and the others who want to ridicule them. And there's no place for that because no. the purpose of us putting the information on is to prevent further, rescues. Further yeah. It's not to allow a forum for people to have a go at anybody. No, but the point is that if you're going to say we're not going to use social media, you're missing out. You it's are. a bit like saying, oh, we don't want to talk to the media because the media might put us in a bad light. Well, if you prepare yourself, you train yourself well, and you've got good relationships with the media locally, they really do look after us Absolutely. as an organisation. Yes. And it's only when you get out of the area and some of the, the journalists who are out there to actually uh, you know, make a living yes. from sensationalising so, yes. stories. Uh, and they will. And you have to be very careful about uh, rescues, particularly with rescues that involve children, mm. because media can hound down the families. Mm. Uh, so rescues with children, fatalities, we have to be really, really careful about. Well, we're moving on down. It's, it's lovely to get by the beck on a much calmer path. So we'll uh, head back down towards uh, the footbridge at the bottom of uh, Gable Gill. We made it down to Burnthwaite Farm, so we're in the lee of a, a, an aged tree. Always at this stage in our expeditions, we test the uh, alertness of our guests by doing a, one or two quick far questions. And it's uh, quite painless, isn't it? Occasionally quite revealing. Uh, my first question is, what is your favourite Lakeland fowl? Favourite Lakeland fowl? I would say uh, probably Great Gable. I think because we've got Nape's Needle birthplace mm. of British climbing. And you've been up Nape's Needle. And I've climbed it. <laughs> I know what it's like coming off the top of the Nape's Needle. It's terrifying. <laughs> you haven't done a handstand on the top? No, no handstand on the top. No, no there were three of us who did it, so mm. uh, it was quite cramped on the top. Oh, you appreciate it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, Herdwick or Red Squirrel? Herdwick. Oh, for sure. Are. Absolutely. Like yourself, hefted to this setting. Uh, your Cumbrian hero or heroine, dead or alive? Oh, that's a hard one, that. I was going to go for Joss Naylor. Ever, ever since he told me about the story when that cow kept him in the back. <laughs> What's the story there, Richard? Oh, well, it was... <laughs> I sat down with Joss in his house at Greendale and he was talking about uh, the early days of Mountain Rescue, you know, and how his dad used to go and do a rescue when he was a young lad and bring them down on the gates. And then he told me that he's always suffered because a cow kicked him in the back. And so he's always suffered with a sore back. But he always tells me that, uh, you know, he's got no, no cartilage in his knee, but it doesn't bother him, you know. He just, he's an incredible man. Yeah. And whenever I'm on a rescue, whenever I'm on a rescue and I feel tired, my knees hurt or anything like that, I just think of Joss and think, come on, Richard, you're a wimp. Sets new standards in I, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that if there was a, an Olympic event for foul racing, he would have got gold medals every time. Yes. Okay, have you got a favourite town or village in Cumbria? Grasmere. Grasmere in the winter. Ah, <laughs> quiet. Without the gentlemen's boats as well. Yes. Uh, have you got a favourite pub? Uh, favourite pub, Wasdale Head Inn. Uh, we have our, our annual Christmas party in the Wasdale Head Inn. And if you were Prime Minister for a day, what one thing would you do to safeguard the landscapes of Cumbria? I'd look very seriously at the numbers of tourists coming in 
and the cars that come in. So I think I'd do something about controlling traffic into Cumbria. Quite. I think that w that's needed. Mm, I think you're absolutely dead right. I've suggested in the past we ought to have mountain sanctuaries, areas that you only locals can drive into, and if you want to come into it, you get into a minibus or something, but otherwise you actually yeah. have to appreciate the place right, yeah and and the three peak challenge we should uh, because it's it seems to grow every year even though the numbers of call outs perhaps are reducing um the damage to wasdale because the the money goes into ben nevis area and snowden and all wasdale get is the wrapping papers from those pizza parlors yeah. in ben nevis Crazy. so the idea of having a camera at the bottom of the valley and ensuring that people who come up for doing the three peaks challenge they pay their permit, which will come to the community. Alternatively, they choose Crossfell as their <laughs> peak, and that would solve it beautifully, wouldn't it? Yes. It'd be nice and handy for motorway, and it oh, would be yes, no yes. problem at all. As a final sort of question, would you, what would you deem as your perfect Lakeland day? My perfect Lakeland 24 hours was when I went up to Lamfoot Dub with my son at 10 o'clock at night the longest day to actually uh, be there with my son and we camped under the stars and watched the three peakers trundling up and down Scorefell Pike. Mm. That was fantastic. Wonderful. It's a wonderful spot that, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, it's been wonderful to be with you and thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. Journey's end, back in the car park at Wasdale Head Green. Light is fading fast now, Mark. The sun's gone down, hasn't it? And uh, a bite to the wind. Yeah, quite that way. It's been a wonderful day. We've, we've learned so much and uh, we learned how greatest part of valour is to know when to turn back and we did so. Well, yeah, that was the first time in Country Stride history <laughs> where we thought, actually, this is not this is not what we want to be doing. No. It was to do mainly with freshly fallen snow on top of compacted ice, and it wasn't easy going. We were slipping around a lot. If we had fallen, we would have been in the right company, I think it's fair yeah. to say, but, but it, it wasn't. It wouldn't have fun. helped us because we'd have gone a long way. Worth saying about that ascent, uh, I haven't done that particular ascent before. It is drama all round, isn't it? Mm. What a great place to be. I've, yeah, I've been up there and down there in, in much fairer weather, right. and I've never been in snow. And not exactly a fair weather walker, because I walk all year round, but I wouldn't have gone up there on my own today. No, I wouldn't have done. Richard provided us with a, a lovely overview of what they do and the yeah. emotional connection that mountain rescue teams have. There were a couple of moments that stood out for me. One of them was him showing the fact that actually some of the members have trouble with exposure and heights and things like that but it's it doesn't matter you know these are all human beings who have their strengths and their weaknesses on the fell but together they form these incredibly strong teams yeah there's 40 members to the That's team right, yeah. they got a new uh, half a dozen or 10 was it new members came in yeah uh, so that they're constant new blood coming in and Which is very positive. Very positive, the whole thing. I think the other moment that really touched me was him talking about on those rare times when they do have a bereavement that, you know, they say this kind of, sorry, a prayer, but they have this moment when they talk to, to that person who's departed. Mm. And these can be very lonely spots in the mountains, can't mm. they? But the idea that there is a kind of fellowship for these troubling times mm. kind of reassuring it is and he says he said if i was going to die where better yeah that's that is true isn't it right our usual uh, housekeeping mark regular listeners will know already that there are plenty of past episodes to catch up on 24 25 this is 26 all right okay so 25 previous editions you can find them all at www.countrystride.co.uk Please do follow us on our social channels, which are... Well, Facebook and Twitter only at the moment, at Country Stride 1. Country Stride 1. And do please drop us a line, anything you want to say about either the podcast or stuff we should be doing. We are always delighted to hear from you. I'm reluctant to 
specify what's next. <laughs> yes. What's the point? We keep having to cancel everything or shift them back in time. Perhaps give us a flavour of the next few that we have in mind, Mark. Well, certainly, although there's a storm coming this coming weekend, we had booked for Monday to take Bill Berkey down from his home in Grasmere. Maybe that will happen. It might get deferred. <laughs> Bill Burkett, the great mountaineer, walker, writer, and um, passionate lakes lover and defender. So, I mean, yes. it will be a fascinating episode when it happens. We have others, but <laughs> until we got through that hurdle, I'd like to get Sheila Gordon to talk about the uh, Lady Anne Way sometime, because mm. this is the 50th, no, 25th anniversary yes. of her, the launch of her guidebook. So that'll be rather special. Lady Anne Way, which follows in the footsteps of the first matriarch of Cumbria, Absolutely. Lady Anne Clifford, who's yes. a fascinating character, isn't I'm she? I look forward to that. And I think we'll walk a bit of the highway from sort of the Moorcock down to Pendragon Castle. That'll be lovely. Malastang. What a name. Just what a name. And, and that highway is... I mean, I don't know about you, I'm, that's up with my finest half-dozen walks. I think it's <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And you got Wild Boar Fell to one side, which was, who was it, Tom Stevenson's favourite fell. It was. The and Father the, of the Pennon Way. Father of the Pennon Way. And the other side, you've got Malastang Edge, yes. which is just, what a wonderful limestone it's got. Well, some of, the, some of it's limestone, absolutely. And yeah. uh, uh, what is it, a uh, high seat, there's a high spot, it's high seat. But, uh, oh, it's a, it's a lovely... Uh, uh, if you want to do a big mountain day, uh, oh, yes. crossing over Yorkshire and Cumbria, do the circuit of Malastang Horizon. That is amazing. Right. Well, OK, we won't promise any anything else because we may struggle to deliver it. On time. On time. <laughs> but we will be weather. in business soon. Well, I've got a, a list of 50 people. As soon as you start scratching the surface, you realise there's such richness in this county. Every podcast that we do seems to generate three more ideas, but that's never a bad thing. Uh, There's still plenty to discover in this fabulous county. So from us today uh, in this wonderful uh, valley, there's only three cars left in the car park here. The light's fading. The sun is setting far to the west there beyond Whitehaven. But we're out of here, Mark. We're going to go and get a bit of warmth. Good idea.